0: Episode 190, The Emotional Semicolon. This is the Ericast for the week of June 3, 2012.
1: From Ericast.com. Welcome to the Ericast.
0: Well, hey, welcome back, or welcome to back to, welcome to, or welcome back to. You see, I can't even get that right. You take a month off, and just nothing. Wow, pathetic. Huh. I'm your pathetic host, Eric Larson, 206-339-3742, that listener feedback line, and for those of you who ever wondered, gee, does he edit these, or tweak them, or adjust them, or if he messes up, does he go back and re-record? Yeah, pretty much not. So, welcome to or welcome back to the AirCast. I stole that from Digital Dan, who probably stole it from somebody else in the world of podcasting, because there are only so many ways that you can welcome someone back to a podcast. So, I, I, I'd love to, to know the history of that. And Digital Dan, if you're still listening, we'd love to hear from you at two zero six three three nine three seven four two, The listener feedback line. Huh. So, the emotional semicolon. Before we get to... Matt's calling, Chad's calling, stuff. Apparently, nothing will rile up the Twitterverse and my Facebook friends more, and by that I mean like two people ask me a question about it, than taking punctuation and phrasing it in some sort of interesting, personal, emotionally laden context. Because when I said that uh, that thanks to some really great coworkers and stuff, I was living in an emotional semicolon. I got the reaction of what does that mean? So what I was saying is think think of your punctuation rules. It's not really a period. I'm not at the you know, this is done period. This session of life is complete, finished, period. It's not that. Nor is it the comma, which is kind of the brief pause of interconnected things. and You just kind of keep churning along. But instead, it, kind of, it just felt. And I'm entitled to feel how I want to feel. So cope with the fact that I consider it a semicolon. A friend of mine on Facebook said it seemed more like an M-dash. I'm like, eh, I'm going to argue semicolon, but that's okay. We can still be friends. Um, you know, I had the, as, as as those of you know, I work at an academic institution. And so we kind of have this seasonal sort of thing going where our school year ends at the end of May. And then you have summer, which is very different and not nothing. I've mentioned this before. Some people unwisely, naively say, Oh, must be great working at the school. Summer is when we must get a bunch of time off and it's so peaceful. No, because summer is when we staff just kind of scamper in and do all the things that we can't do when the faculty are around. So for those of us who are staff, it's our busy time. So semester ended, which is fine. Then the building that I'm in was built in 1958 and has had a couple minor remodelings to it, but apparently they're they're redoing all the bathrooms and the HVAC. And the bathrooms alone you could maybe tolerate, but because they're messing with the, the, uh, the air handling system, and because there's asbestos in the building as every good 1950s or 60s building has, everyone had to leave and vacate the building. So in addition to my own office, there are two, you know, fairly large departments, uh, one bigger than the other, that also had to get out, so I had to help coordinate the moves and make sure that their computers would make make it to the end, all, all the quirky little things with that kind of... So that, that was big. I mean, it was one of those things that was simple but not easy, you know, um, though in this case it was kind of neither, because it sure is easy to to miss something like, oh yeah, where are you going to run photocopies from, and... Your copiers have to be on the network because they have to authenticate to the chargeback server, and how are we going to set the IP address on the copier if we can't do it remotely because we need to reach the copier by IP address, so we'll have to do it from the control panel on the copier, but how do you do that? Yeah, so all those kinds of things that had to get hashed out. There are a few other things, and I mean, I've got a ton of stuff coming up in the summer, so the summer is going to be super busy, and it's been super busy, but right now thanks to some really good colleagues who have taken over some stuff and um, we 've got some great student help and just all sorts of good things I'm just kind of <sighs> okay so that 's where i 've been at. That also serves as an explanation as to why, despite my best intentions, I keep saying, "Oh, I'll get a podcast out soon." I somehow I just never do. So I might even quit trying. Maybe at the end of this episode, I'll still say, "Until next week, take care." We'll see how that goes. But uh, that—that is—that's where I'm at. So I would. You know we've had lots of really specific topics, and we're going kind to of use this episode almost as that listener feedback episode, sort of thing, to wrap up some stuff. Um, I would love to know. What you have planned for your summer. And you can just rattle off the task list of vacations and things you're planning on on going on or things you're doing, Um, or just sort of a theme. Is it a a summer of adventure, a summer of of recharging, uh, a summer to relax, uh, a summer to get some basic projects done? I'd just kind of like to know. So let me know, 206 339 3742. And with that reaching way back into the archives, way, way back to like May 10th when the last episode came out, we're going to take a listen to Matt, who was, was intrigued by my Iowa adventure and the Get Motivated seminar.
2: Hey, Eric. This is Matt from California. Um, great show this week. And, uh, you know, I've never been to one of those Get Motivated. I get the advertisements for them all the time. But, um, I heard many years ago from somebody else that they were pretty salesy, so, um, I have avoided them. But I will say that in the city that I live, um, for about 16 years, maybe 15 years, we had a speaker circuit come through, um, and there was no sales. It was just, uh, you know, a, a half a day or a full day of speakers, and I've been to several of those, um, some of the cool ones we're seeing, John Major speak. Um, also, uh, Margaret Thatcher, um, the guy who was the inspiration behind the movie Catch Me If You Can, which his name just escapes me, but he's played by Leonardo DiCaprio um, in that movie, but he, uh, we saw him before the movie came out, but uh, after it was announced. So that was cool. Um, also saw Rudy Giuliani. Um John Walsh. But uh one of the my favorite um ones was surprisingly Terry Bradshaw, the quarterback from the Pittsburgh Steelers. And I know you're not a sports guy, but he's pretty darn funny. And um I got to meet him because he we were outside um during a break in one of them and he came his limo dropped him off and he just came walking through. Um so that was cool and I missed those and I too enjoyed those. I would rather go to a speaking event. Then a sporting event, even though I am a sports fan. I enjoy sports um, sitting on the couch watching TV. But, uh, yeah, and that person, Kari Michelson, yeah, I watch that show. I don't, I can't remember. I'm going to have to Google her because I can't remember who she is. But uh, very cool, and very cool that you went um, to a few of those. And last thing, I am so surprised that you uh, didn't know who Zig Ziglar was. Um, does that mean that you've never been in Amway? <laughs> because when I was very, very young and I had the whole Amway thing was um, when I first learned who Zig Ziglar was and many other people that I still enjoy reading and learning about. Anyway, hope things are going uh, well for you up in the MFP. I think you're in, Is that? I don't know if that's the right lingo, but if that's the right area. Anyway, uh, take care.
0: Well, thank you, Matt. Yes, uh, the airport code here is MSP. This is kind of interesting. Here's, a, here's an insider tip for anybody that wants to see... I, I've, I've long thought this. If I were ever on some circuit, you know, speaker circuit, concert circuit, whatever it is, um, you know, it's kind of funny because it, I don't think I mentioned this anywhere that in, since the last episode, uh, Joyce Meyer came to town, kind of a big televangelist thing. Uh, Mom is really big into her, so I went up... Uh, and saw her speak, and I'm not sure if, I might have missed it, but I don't think she ever mentioned Minneapolis. I, she said, like, you know, this, this town or this city, which I guess is one way of avoiding making the mistake of saying, you know, hello, Kansas City, when you're in Minneapolis. I mean, that would be kind of wrong. Uh, but that was interesting. I, I don't I don't think she mentioned that. Uh also as an aside, just random catch up, um, that afternoon, because uh, President Obama was in town, and minor just traffic considerations, not problems, just, okay, what are going to do? And we'll take the light rail over here. And then I realized wait a minute, if the president's in town. That means Air Force One is in town. So I got to, well, I got to by the fact that I went um, over to the airport, stared at airport Air Force One from uh, from the other side of the airport, and then realized, well, if I hang out here, I think I think he's taking off soon. So I got to see Air Force One take off, which is pretty cool. But that, someone call and remind me if they want me to talk about Air Force One, I'll turn it into a whole episode. Really, it was just, yeah, it's 747, it took off. but It was kind of cool. As with everything with me, there's a story behind that as well. Okay, so I've long thought that if I were on some speaking circuit or some tour or in a foreign city and had to give a public speech, what I would do is to call ahead to—I don't know what. I mean, maybe the libraries, maybe uh, you know, call up Starbucks or something and just ask. Okay, I've got a strange question. When do you guys call yourself? Just I mean, just casually. Are you the you know, whatever? Because no one around here would say. You know, we're in the MSP, or here we are in MSP. I mean, it just that's that's fine. There's nothing wrong with it. It just that's that's not um, that's not what we say. Nor do do any. Nor do any of us say I'm from Minneapolis-St. Paul. No, that no. We that's just a few too many syllables. Nor do any of us who are not from Minneapolis say I'm from Minneapolis unless we're. F- forcing ourselves you know when i met um carrie michelson i did say we came down from minneapolis because i could say we came down from saint paul because we live on the east side so egan is a suburb of saint paul but saint paul doesn't sound nearly as cool as minneapolis no one i don't, does anyone know of saint i guess maybe you guys know of saint paul other than many, but people think of Minneapolis. And then we drove down through Burnsville and then Lakeville. I mean, that's, you know, that just doesn't help anybody. So, that's eh, it's fine It's Minneapolis. But the term that we use around here, the generic one, is the Twin Cities. And Everybody I know, any local people? <laughs> this, this is what I'll do. I'll start a war between my wo- local listeners and my one... Non Minnesotan listener on what we should call ourselves because now the rest of you who are local can call and say, No, we don't call ourselves the Twin Cities. But if I were, if some random person called me and said, I'm coming to give a concert. At the Target Center in Minneapolis or the Excel Center in Saint Paul, and I want to give a shout out to the crowd. What should I say? Don't say "Hey Minneapolis." Don't say "Hey Minneapolis Saint Paul." Certainly, don't say "Hey MSB." Say "Hey Twin Cities," and that is is the good inclusive term for for us here. But I'm sure everybody does it differently. Um, if you're in Chicago, do you say "Hey Chicago Metroland" or whatever it is? Uh, Do the Quad Cities really call themselves the Quad Cities down in Iowa? Do people in Orange County say, we're in the OC, or was that just a TV show thing? I don't know. Anyway, my goodness, yes, it's MSP. Um, But we don't say that. Uh, I'd be very curious to know if you did Google Kari Michelson. Come on, come on, people, help me out. Get that whole? Oh yeah, her. I remember her. I'm, but at least you remember the show, Matt. I'm impressed. But the thing I find most interesting, and you, you mentioned something really intriguing—that fact that you know we would rather go see speakers than sports. I, I mean, yeah, I think I mentioned before I'm not a sporting event guy, etc. But when you when you reflect on that a moment, that's a little dumb because of all the things that shouldn't really matter to see to see in person. It would be a speaker. And the best view in the house... I used to say this when running video in a church context. The best view in the house is back in the sound booth because I've got the camera with the zoom lens and the monitor right in front of me. Uh, I can point it where I want. I can see what I... Unless you're sitting like in the front row which, once again, I was at Get Motivated in Iowa. But no, I mean, seriously, I, I, there's there's nothing going on. Whereas, like, at a sporting event, you could say, oh, look at that that tight end run over there and do that thing with, I was going to say, with the puck and make a free throw. But I, I, I know a little bit more about sports than that. But, um, you know, y- and even concerts where you could you know and and you mentioned that thing of like kind of seeing the band interact and the, you know that so we should be wanting to see that and the live speaker thing should be like at the bottom of the list of things you want to see live but not for me I just I like seeing I like seeing the people and you do notice things I mean you do kind of notice how they engage with the crowd and that so there's some value there I just think it's cool Rudy Giuliani um I've seen him twice by the way. And both times it's kind of the same speech. It's sort of New York after 9-11 and strength under adversity and that kind of thing. Fine, but... um, Anyway, yes, that's that. Fun stuff? Fun stuff, fun stuff. Okay. I'm just warning you, this is going to be a long episode. Probably should be two, but if I say it's going to be two, it won't get done. So just pause it halfway through and play it again another day and pretend it's two episodes. Because now... We're going to get to Chad's call, where Chad gets to talk about video.
1: Hey, Eric, this is Chad, just uh, calling in about um, the topic of uh, video and, you know, kind of getting that out there as either a podcast feed or whatnot. I feel that uh, live video is uh, easy uh, to do because, well, not necessarily live, but, you know, when you just tape it, you know, like a wedding, no editing, basically. Um, Maybe cut out a few things, but you're not doing scene by scene. Uh, anything like that, but if you're just doing just a kind uh, of lecture, lecture or something like that, you know, you just you just tape it and then you're pretty much done. That's pretty simple because then you just um you you just re-render it in whatever um size uh size you need and uh, you can strip out the audio if you just want an audio only um version. That's pretty simple. It's when you get into the um several scenes, several takes getting all those clips together because, yeah, as you said, you know, um, one minute can equal 20 minutes or I, I forget what the rule exactly was, but yeah, it, you've got all those clips to work with. You've got to put them in the right order. you got to make sure that it makes sense. you got to go over it again, um, make sure that the audio matches up and all this sort of stuff. So, yeah, when you do a podcast and you're taking various clips in, that's definitely more complicated. But if you're doing a podcast – or even a lecture or even an event and you're just videotaping it and then that's your finished product you just start stop and publish um that's uh that's pretty simple as you as you know so um when it comes to recommending um one format versus the other is it going to be a polished edited version or is it just going to be a simple um start stop it really comes down to what's the shelf life of this? How long is it going to be used? Is this, a um, one lecture only used one semester, or is this a lecture that's going to be used semester after semester, maybe um, multiple purposes, multiple classes, um, maybe not the exact, you know, business 201 or business 202, but it can be used for marketing, it can be used for this because it's a small thing and it has a great shelf life. Um, so the amount of effort you put into videotaping and editing, I think, should be proportional to um, the the amount that it's actually going to be used and distributed over and over and over again. Uh, you certainly don't want to spend 10 hours on one lecture that's only going to be used two or three times in a single semester. If it can be used year after year, I think that's much, much better. Um, so the time involved in producing it, I think, should be really, really proportional to the shelf life, and the applicability of it. And I also truly believe in repurposing old content as well. Um, as long as the content remains relevant and um, and has a great shelf life, I think it can be um, like if you've got a, a lecture, you could always uh, later on, you know, if it's still relevant, chop it up into smaller pieces, maybe um, put that to a um, to a different type of presentation format who knows what they're going to come up with, you know, how like how... PowerPoint was big in the early 2000s um, maybe there's something even better now um, but repurposing um, content I think is also key but again that comes down to editing so those are just uh, my five fifty sixty cents worth of uh, thoughts. I'd like to know what you think thanks
0: Oh Chad they thank you for that call. I think a lot I think a lot on that uh on those fronts um I think you're right, short answer, don't worry, no no big bomb dropping of, here's, here's all the things you're incorrect about, no, 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 um, yes, right on all counts, so it's interesting, it brings back a lot of memories, because I, as f- so I was wrapping up college and kind of wondering what am I going to do with my life, I, over the summer, since nobody was using the equipment, I checked and said, yeah, it's fine, I borrowed a couple of our uh, nice video cameras, uh, they're like a high-end SVHS camera, so... Those of you who are really video geeks might say it's an oxymoron, but they were JVC-X2 they were, uh, uh, series cameras. They were nice. And I shot a wedding as a three-camera shoot, um, static camera in the back. Um, that was a lower-end Panasonic um, SVHS camera. And then the two um, with a uh, classmate of mine, the 2 V C 2s and then sat in an A-B roll edit suite editing that. It was a great experience because it basically it was something for the resume tape if I decide to pursue video, etc. It fit me as a personality. It's like, great, I can, I can tweak this as much as I want. Uh, fine if you're a college student that it is living with your parents, and so you don't have to worry about being gainfully employed, and can it can do that. But wow, was that a lot of work? And it w- what was funny is it wasn't even the editing, like the editing to tell a story. Like I shot all this news footage, and now I have to, you know, bring it down to like a, a you know two minute package. It's like no, that's that's just you know, A B roll editing. It's from one shot to the next. But then um, after I had worked at the church a little while, I tried and went really well with a colleague of mine we live switched a wedding I'm just going to keep using that example because it's kind of a cool one so we set that up as a three camera shoot ran all the, the cables and stuff back to to videox MX1 switchers those are great little switchers they're really great switchers um, and live switched it And I did the same thing at the church that I worked at, it's just that all the cameras were built in. But what was really interesting is, and I could only do that comfortably after I had done a lot of Sunday morning services and things like that. Where you, you know, hesitancy is your enemy. In terms of like a camera move or something like that, uh, the volunteers that had the most trouble were the ones that that just, I, I always had to explain to them, Think it through on your head, you know, in your head, think it through quickly, but think it through and then commit. You'll know, Make the move. Don't nudge the camera. I mean if you're gonna if you if you're gonna pan, ban. If you're gonna if you you wanna zoom, then zoom out. I not like I mean we had remote controls in the zoom, so they were slow. But you push the button till you are where you want to be and then you stop. You don't tap it or nudge it or jostle it because that's what's distracting. Well the same thing with with camera switching is you've got to kind of know what's going on. It works with that INTP Myers-Briggs personality where it's just all a big world of stuff and you see how it all interrelates and you keep your eyes open because the advantage of both those circumstances there in that church, where the sound booth was located in um, in the, the sanctuary area um, and that wedding where it was done actually in a historic theater and we were up in the balcony, is you could see everything. I don't know I just have I, I guess maybe you get used to it or whatever. I've not worked in an, in a video environment where you're live switching in a control room that is not in the venue. I don't know how that works because whenever I was live switching something I was always in the venue space so you could you could keep your eyes open and sort of see, I'm gesturing now, which doesn't work well in an audio podcast. But you can hear it in my voice, the expansive use of the word see. The whole world of stuff around you. And what's going on, oh somebody's moving over there or okay, there seems to be a problem there, we're gonna frame a shot to, you know, block that out because I think they're having trouble with, you know, that piece of equipment or that instrument or whatever. Whatever it is. Anyway, so that so get on topic, Eric. Okay. To your point, Chad, that's the that notion of, of just live to tape, live to hard drive, and you're done. And just do it and that's that's done. Now, in years past, I've talked about the application Visual Communicator, which was from a company called Serious Magic that got bought out by Adobe. I haven't done much with that. It was a, because it's a weird little niche. I like the niche, but it's a weird niche. The notion is that you're scripted. Now, it might come as a shock to to you, the listener, that this is not scripted. But if you are scripted and you have have, uh, something you're following, a script that you're going to follow from top to bottom, Visual Communicator lets you put that in there and then put the all the graphics and things that are going to pop up, the over-the-shoulder, the super, that kind of thing, and the camera angles. So you can do it as a multi-camera shoot, like multiple USB cameras or whatever, and you just program in, you know, camera one, camera three, you know, camera two for a two-shot, whatever. If you're, as I say, if you're 100% scripted, that's great. Now, it does have a a feature where you don't have to... You don't have to be on script and you can kind of click through and live switch, and there are lots of applications that do it, but it loses some of its power then. I mean, it it was really good for just kind of a, a one man show. Push the button and the script rolls, and there you go. But for that, you've got to spend all the time developing the script ahead of time. Not so good. So I had an idea. This is probably better as a dweeb thought, but I'm not going to do it as a dweeb thought. I'm going to give it as an exclusive to you, full Aircast listeners. And I do have a dweeb thought coming later. Yeah, it's going to be a long podcast. So, what if you had an event, you record it, you know, as a three camera shoot, have the extra materials, the you know, the PowerPoint, you know, the, the whatever, and you have some means of Distributing that through a web interface or something, where all of that, all those streams are running simultaneously and can be selected. So you play. If this tool exists, someone please tell me about it, so that you play the director. You're calling what shot you want to see. Okay. I think a uh, you know, lecture sermon, even a sporting event, uh, just a you know live. Live switched events. We're not going to work about rolling in slow motion and that kind of thing for a sports or whatever. Just imagine it's like a live event and you you get to pick which camera you're you're looking at. And so you'd watch this and you say, Oh, that's interesting. I want a close up of that, or I want a tighter shot of that, or I want a wide shot at this point. Okay, so you, you play that to people and, and distribute that. Well, eventually especially if if you had lots of people doing this, you would have some sort of data on what shots were popular so gosh, for some reason, it looks like at three minutes and eighteen seconds in, everybody is going to that tight shot that camera one had, and then either algorithmically, like you could just tell the program just autoplay through what the with the community it's like crowdsourcing your your best camera angles. Just auto play what the community has selected. That'd work, or pass it to a director who could look at that and say, "Oh, well, that's why they're looking at that because that's that's where the musician was doing that really cool slap bass thing, whatever." So of course they're going to cut to the shot of the the bassist. Great catch! We'll, we'll leave that in our final production. So, but that notion of you know let the let the viewer do the work crowdsource out what the best shots are. Um, you can kind of community community edit something. I don't know. Um, but I'll tell you the the what you picked up on, Chad, is that whole shelf life concept that there needs to... it's the ROI question, return on investment. There either needs... To, either something that has that long shelf life of, well, this is going to be around for years and be effective for years, you know, and, and whatever. So it... Um, it behooves us to put effort into editing and compiling it. Or, conversely, yes, yeah, it's not going to be around very long, but lots of people are going to be interested in it. But then you have the, well, it's not going to be around for very long, and not that many people are going to care. But the people who do care are our three biggest donors. Hmm. Well, then maybe we should invest in it. And those kinds of decisions are made all the time with all sorts of audiences. So it gets, um, it gets entertainingly complex. I It's kind of cool. Okay, so last thing I'm going to mention, uh, continuing with the tradition, I'm going to roll in the, the, uh, the dweeb thoughts since last time. I think there's only one. I'll have to check and make sure. Uh, but the one I know about is uh, one I just recorded. I think I fixed my weird Picasso issue. Did I ever mention I had a weird Picasso issue? Well, I'm not sure, but I recap it here in this week's dweeb thoughts.
1: Hi, I'm Jason Derusha from WCCO-TV. I'm the Good Question Guy, and I've got a good question for you. What's your number one source for dweeb thoughts on the Internet? Well, if you're like me, it's ericast.com.
0: So, I think I mentioned earlier that I was doing a video Picasso thing. Maybe I didn't. Um, briefly, I had this great idea, brilliant, huh, um, to take my VHS tapes and code them to DVD. That's what I've been doing for a long time. Then I realized I could take the DVDs, make thumbnails of those, well, thumbnail uh, using a, a program tied with the Microsoft Expression Engine, et cetera, et cetera, make these thumbnails. Then I have a bunch of photos because you could skim through the photos more quickly than scanning through the entire DVD, and that would give me an idea of what was on each DVD. And then I realized I could throw that all into Picasso, do face recognition, and let the computer do the hard work figuring, oh, okay, this is what Dan Rather looks like. Now here's a video, a DVD of whatever old VHS footage. I bet this is Dan Rather in it. Great idea, huh? And the new Picasso, Picasso 3.9. I just paused because I feel really bad if I've talked all about this before, but that's okay. The update's good. The new Picasa version 3.9 allows you to store all that face tag information in the photo, which is a whole lot more useful than having a bunch of random INI files and database things sitting around. You'd never be able to track them down later, right? So things are good and I figured at some point after I had a couple hundred in I should probably test this and make sure this really does work that if I, I remove all the, the database information just start with a clean install of the CASA point it at you know, basically make a backup of the files and then point it at the, uh, the photos does it pick the names up and it did but it did something really strange that made me very annoyed for some of them not all of them for some of them it made duplicates, strange duplicate things like you'd have. Here's here's an example of Dan Rather being recognized, um, you know, 418 times, and then here's a case where Dan Rather was recognized once here and once here and once here and once here. So when you re-imported, you'd get like eight contacts, seven of which were just. A single instance of a person named Dan Rather, and then the whole balance, you know, hundreds or thousands of them, were all put into the Dan Rather. Like, okay, why is it duplicating these contacts in such a weird way? Went round and round and round and round, and here is the solution. And once I figured it out, it's like, oh, that's just brilliant. Okay, so Picasso does the scan, brings everything in, and it really truly is looking to see, you know, when it first encounters a Dan Rather, or encounters any subsequent Dan Rather, it does look to see, do I already have a contact named Dan Rather? Oh, I do. Great, I'll just multiply that out. So why do you get these duplicates? Well, because this was a Thumbnailing program, occasionally the first photo that Picasa encounters is one that has multiple instances of the same person. Now, ordinarily, like in the snapshot, you'd never have this. You don't have you know, Bob showing up four times in one photo. I mean, it's just, that's obviously four different people, right? But not when your photos are actually JPEGs of, you know, m- multiple thumbnail, you know, frames from a video. So it looks like Picasa, in between photos, is successfully going back and checking to see if a person already exists in the database. And if it does, it just marks them as an identical person. But if its first encounter with a person has multiple images of that person or multiple instances in the same image. It creates duplicates because in between the creation of each one, it's not going back to see if it already made one. Does that make sense? Like, what a fascinating little quirk. It's almost, I mean, I guess it's a bug, but it almost doesn't even rise to the level of being called a bug because, really, who would ever think of that? You just never would encounter that because in all the testing you do, as I say, unless you have the same person in one photo file multiple times, which almost never happens unless it's some sort of collage or, in my case, thumbnailed photos, it's just never going to show up. So I think that was the answer. And what I did to try and test this or whatever is I, I deduped a list, um, saved it as the context of XML, cleared out everything from Picasa and gave it back that one file so here's all 280 or whatever people that Picasso knows here you go and it now knows them and then did the re-import I haven't checked I mean it's like a 28-hour process for have to rescan all the faces but from what I can tell so far I think it worked I think I have all the people in as individuals I don't think it's picking up any extra people I think it actually worked okay so I thought I'd mention that uh, and see um, if anybody had any thoughts on that. 206-339-3742. If any of you are Picasso geeks or love that whole idea of trying to do the VHS to DVD to thumbnails to Picasso for face recognition, if you like that concept, um, let me know. 206-339-3742. As always, look forward to uh, hearing the feedback and any other ideas for further dweeb thoughts. And now, back to the EraCast. Okay, I just checked. I'm like 35 minutes in, which is sort of two episodes, but there's no logical breaking point to turn it into two episodes. So, it's been a month. I'm thanking you for indulging me. A little bit of extra grace. I appreciate that. 206-339-3742. Listener feedback line. Let me know what you think. Um... Uh, Tell me about Picasa. I'm not even mentioning showrooming, which I don't think I rolled into the last podcast. I think I forgot to add the dweeb thought. Maybe I didn't. I don't know. You've been given a ton of topics to call in and, and give some feedback on, so so please do that. And I'm giving a special shout-out, not just to my dedicated callers like Chad and Matt, but to those of you who are listening but don't call. Joneser, Digital Dan, the literally tens or singles of others who are out there and listening, call 206-339-3742. Give me some feedback. Let me know what you think. Leave a message. And until next time, maybe next week. Maybe. We'll see. I'll see it. Until next week. Take care. Thanks for listening to the eracast from eracast.com
2: Visit us at www.AeroCast.com